Good morning to you. I'm glad you're here. I'm beginning a little two-part series. And if you've been at uh, First Baptist for some amount of time since I've been here, uh, you know that this is something I do every January. <clears throat> I mentioned this in my Discover First class when we talk about uh, this. If you've been in Discover First, you know this. But every January, right around the second and third week of January, I preach a little two, I take two weeks and talk about stewardship. Stewardship is like church code word for money, <laughs> giving, right? Tithes and offerings and all that stuff. And I, and I do that, right, every January. So that has led to some uh, interesting situations because I know, I know when you talk about money, you talk about giving, uh, it can be a little cringy uh, sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, it can feel awkward. Uh, but don't worry, I assure you, uh, when it comes to money, it can be awkward, but I, I promise you, I can be awkward on almost any topic, so don't, don't you worry about that. Uh, but it never fails, so I always give this disclaimer. It never fails. It is happening right here. I'm sure of it. I don't know, but I'm, just, I'm certain that it is happening. It never fails that the weeks I preach on this topic, I do it every January, second and third weeks of January, you know, give or take a week, uh, that... There will be a first-time guest of Coleman First Baptist right here in the sanctuary. And why that matters is that for some of you, you're here right now. And for some of you, your friend who's a member here at First Baptist has been urging you to come to church for a long time. Weeks or even years. And you have refused. And they've asked you, why have you refused? And your reason has been, because every time I go to any church, all they talk about is money. And you've assured them, no, that's not the case. It's different in First Baptist. Come, come. And they finally came today. And they're looking at you like, see what I'm saying? <laughs> so true story, there was a couple, uh, I think it was last year, they, they, they have family in Coleman, and they visit after the holidays. It's their tradition. They come every year in January. And they've come for the last four years, and they visit our church only on these two Sundays a year. And so they were like, uh, Pastor, you, you talk about, you preach on giving a lot, <laughs> like 100% of the time. Uh, obviously, I do it because uh, it's nothing to be cringy about or awkward about, just the opposite. We can't be faithful to the Word of God, which has a lot to say about how we manage our finances. Middle of January is a great time, too. People are looking ahead to the new year, financial New Year's resolutions, or maybe the credit card bill from Christmas is coming due now, and uh, you may think, oh, we need a sermon series on stewardship. We can't be faithful to God's word without talking about this. And I like to start, let's build a foundation for thinking about this whole topic of money and giving when it comes to Christianity. The number one myth when it comes to money, the number one myth, I'll illustrate it and then I'll tell you what the number one myth is. The number one myth, we have, until we get this myth out of our minds and get the truth planted deeply in our hearts, We'll never, it'd be very difficult, I'll say, to make headway in the Christian faith when it comes to this particular area of our life. We've got to get this myth, it's a lie. We've got to get the lie out of our heads and get the truth into our hearts. Let me illustrate the myth, and then I'll tell you explicitly what it is. The illustration would be this. You um, got some Christmas cash. Good for you. And I mean literally cash. Not like a check or like debit or a gift card. Like you got like dollar dollar bills. You know, you got like actual cash. And you decided that you want, uh, the stock market has got you a little nervous. And you got a good stack of cash. You got 
thousand dollars and you're looking for a place to invest it or put it but you don't care about returns you're not any in any way interested in returns you just want safety your primary concern is something secure so you go down to your local bank and uh, there your buddy ted happens to be the manager there hey ted you see ted and again you're joking with Ted. hey i got you explain the situation going after some pleasantry some small talk you go back there and you say look i got this five thousand dollars in cash literally like right here in this envelope i know everybody's using debit cards and all that i'm old school it's actual cash and I want to leave it with you because of safety. And uh, Ted explains, well, then you want a savings account. That's right. I don't care. I know, I know savings accounts aren't paying a lot of interest right now. That's fine. I'm not concerned about interest. I just want safety and security. Ted says that's great because our bank is FDIC insured. Now, FDIC stands for something, I'm sure. Now, you sit down and there, uh, Ted, and you, you begin to talk. And, and so you fill out some paperwork. He's like, man, we can get you set up today. No problem. And he said, oh, one last thing. I'm kind of I'm old school. And uh, when I was a kid, these savings accounts, they had these passbook savings accounts. Remember, remember passbooks? They would give you like an actual little book. And uh, would you mind, just for nostalgia, just for me, like, and he's like, you know what? I think we got some laying around. Sure, we'll set you up with a passbook savings account. Great. Get you all set up. You fill in. Take the $5,000. Sign the thing. Give you the passbook. You leave. A year later, fast forward a year, you come back and uh, you come into the bank. And uh, instead of the usual pleasantries. Hey, Ted. Ted's no longer friendly. Ted's white as a ghost. And you go, and he calls you in the back, and uh, you're ready after waiting some time. And, um, and uh, you say, hey, you know, I came a year ago. I dropped off that $5,000. I deposited it with you. And, uh, well, I'm here to collect it. And whatever interest there is, I know it's not much. Ha ha. You know, I know. But that's all right. I got my passbook. Here we go. And Ted says, yeah, I don't have it. Well, I understand. It's a large fairly large withdrawal. I, I, I probably have to fill out a form and come back tomorrow, probably for some tax thing or some reason. I don't understand finance. Okay, no big deal. Ted says, no, you don't understand. I, it's, it's not here. We don't have it. Well, Ted, what are you saying? Uh, so last year, when you deposited that uh, $5,000, see, what happened, I... Um, my wife and I, it's funny, at that exact moment, um, we were long overdue for a vacation. And so we went to the Bahamas. We took a cruise to the Bahamas, and we used that $5,000 uh, to do that. Uh, but it's okay. We didn't spend all of it. We had some left over and bought a brand new flat screen TV. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like 4K. And uh, in fact, you should come over. You know what? You and your wife should come over, and we'll watch the cruise photos of our vacation on that TV. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, is that, is that good? Now, what, would, what are you thinking? What, do you, what would you say to Ted? Because you're in church, and this is the, um, you know, this is the, the South, and everyone's polite, you would say, I'd write a strongly worded letter. <laughs> what are you really thinking, right? That ain't right. That's terrible. That's all wrong. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You got it all mixed up. Whoa, Ted, you were an asset manager. You got it all confused. You thought that $5,000 was your money to be spent the way you wanted it. I don't mind you making a living, Ted. I don't mind a worker deserves his wages, but you got something fundamentally twisted. You thought that was your money to be used the way you want. That was my money. You were the manager. You were the asset manager. You had, as the lawyers say, a fiduciary trust responsibility, Ted, right? Even little kids hear that story and they go, that ain't right. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody gets it. Everybody understands that. You'd be outraged. You'd be incensed. You would say, somebody's going to jail. Like, that's wrong. The number one myth when it comes to Christians and the topic of money, the number one myth is that you are the rightful owner 
of everything God puts in your hand. That's the number one myth. The number one truth, the, 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 then, the truth that counteracts that lie, that lie is from the devil. That lie, a satanic lie, it's hard to serve God when you're trying to be God, right? So that lie that you are the rightful owner, that's the lie. The truth that counteracts the lie is therefore this. God is the rightful owner of everything we possess. We, that makes us what? We are then the what? Well, for here we have to dig into an old Bible word. And it's actually the best, most accurate word. We don't use it in modern parlance the way they used it in the scriptures, except in the church. When the church talks about stewardship, that's the right use of the word. God is the owner of everything we have. We are the stewards. Asset managers. A steward is a Bible word that means manager, ambassador, one who is put in charge by the owner over the affairs of the whole estate. I got to meet an actual real life steward. It's been, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago. I was invited to preach in South Texas. And um, the guy who invited me was, uh, the church that invited me had a deacon, and he was like, oh, the guy just kept telling me, like, wait, there's no hotels, you know, we live way out in the country, don't you worry, Tom, we're going to take good care of you, we're going to put you up somewhere real nice. And I'm I'm like, ah, you know, I'm thinking, do I need to go get a Best Western or whatever? They're like, just trust me, it's going to be nice. Turns out the guy who goes, uh, he's a deacon at this church, I stayed at his ranch, he was the steward. He was the overseer. He was the, 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 the top person, the boss of this massive, beautiful ranch. They had horses. They had exotic uh, animals. They had all these massive ranch in Texas. And it, he didn't own it. It was owned by one of these Texas oil tycoon billionaires. And he, this guy was the caretaker. He was the steward. And he's showing me around this place. And it was a Texas. It was a, it was a small ranch. It was only 25,000 acres. And he's in Texas. And he's showing me around. And I'm looking at these incredible stallions. I don't know anything about horses, but these are apparently really, really expensive horses. And it's like got this whole indoor stable, stable zone, or I don't know. And there, I mean, I'm seeing pictures of the Texas billionaire. The actual owner has got photos. And he's with like Arab princes shaking hands. And then like U.S. presidents. He's got his arm around him, you know. And I'm, he's walking me through. And he just like makes these offhanded comments like, yep, uh, that, that's from ancient Egypt. Yeah, that's here. Yeah, he, he's kind of into Egyptian stuff. And we go into his office. Office. He's like, now the only thing, don't sit in that chair. Don't ever sit in that chair. It's kind of roped off. I'm like, what? He's like, there's only two in the world. The other one's in the British Museum. It came from King Tut's tomb. Anyway, well, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? Couldn't believe it. Uh, so anyway, all this opulence and all this stuff. Now, at no point did he ever get it twisted. He, he never thought, I'm the owner of all this stuff. He knew I am the steward. I'm the caretaker. He pointed his big, his big, uh, beautiful mansion on top of the hills, part of the ranch. He says, uh, yeah, we keep that running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We pay the AC bill. Think about the air conditioning in South Texas for that place. Keep that running. Cable bill, utilities, everything's paid up. Why? In case the owner's grandson ever wants to fly down. His, the owner's grandson was a student at Harvard, and he, he flew down, and uh, if he ever flies down and wants to stay there, uh, we keep it ready for him. I might get a call at any moment at San Antonio Airport. Hey, I'm here. I drop everything. I go get him. Um, I said, well, how, I mean, does he do it a lot? That's very expensive to keep that running. He said, twice in four years, he's coming out. Yeah, so just, why? 
But he was told to do what? He was told to keep it running. Why? He is not the owner. Owner might do, you might do something differently, right? I know some of you are dads. You're like, no, we're not paying extra electricity bill. No, I'm sorry. They can wear a sweater. They can drive themselves. Okay. You understand? But we're not the owner. So it's not, just, it's not so much our will be done. We are the steward. I got to meet this real life steward. So here's the question. As a Christian, are you being a good steward of everything that God has put in your hands? Do you live like you're the owner of time or money or even our, our bodies, all this stuff? Or are we the steward? This applies, it trickles down into every area of our life. Now, look, I know it's controversial. So I, I, no judgment here. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. I, I, know, I, know it's, I know it's a controversial topic. It can be. So no judgment. But how many of you own at least three social media accounts? Now, you say, like, you own at least three. Now, if you raise your hand, you're like, yeah, but I can explain. I don't log in much. That's not what I'm asking, okay? Do you own at least three? Now, before you say three, I don't have three. I'm talking about Facebook, YouTube. You have a YouTube account, Uh, Snapchat, TikTok, Yik Yak. Y'all didn't think I knew about Yik Yak. Every teenager in here is like, now I got to delete Yik Yak. If the preacher knows about it, it ain't cool. Yeah. Don't sleep on Yik Yak. Whatever. However you say it. I tried. Uh, what else? Uh, 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 what's the den of uh, comparison and envy? Uh, Pinterest. I couldn't think of it. Uh, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, right? So again, no, ju- I guess a little judgment, but I take, I take it back. I take it back. I'm just having fun. Uh, too many sausage balls, I guess. Uh, if you own at least three, now you're adding them up in your head. I don't care if you never log into them, whatever. Do you? Okay, so Show of hands if you own at least three social media accounts. Okay. Keep your hands up. I know. If you own at least two. They may have just two. Two. Okay. And what about just one? You own one social media. Okay. Okay. So Psalm 24 verse 1, this whole topic about stewardship says that the entire earth is the Lord's. The world and everything in it belong to him. So show of hands if you own at least three social media accounts. Let's see the three. Okay. Right. So Psalm 24 verse 1 says, that the entire earth is the Lord's, that uh, we're the stewards, he's the owner. So show of hands if you own at least three. <clears throat> so Psalm 24, <laughs> verse 1, don't raise your hand. It's obviously a trick the preacher is using to drive home a particular point. That's right. You are not the owner. You are the steward. You, guess what, are the social media manager of God's accounts, which means i got to use this social media account the way the owner wants. Why? It's not mine. So am I going to spread every piece of gossip and trash I can, or am I going to use it to build others up in honor? I'm going to use it to build others up in honor. Why? Because I'm not the owner. I'm the asset manager, the steward of this account. This can be uh, the clothes on your back. The clothes on your back. If you're a Christian, it may say made in Bangladesh, but this clo- these clothes are property of Jesus. And so if at any time... There are people who need the very clothes on our back more than we need it. We give it. Why? It's not our clothes. You own a car? Okay. It's God's car. Jesus, in our family, I am the steward of a Honda Odyssey minivan. And it's up to Jesus. Jackie wants flames on the side and a no fear sticker on the back. And I'm like, would Jesus? (laughs) Sorry, that was me. I want that. I saw it on Pinterest. Anyway. That's the Lord's minivan. So if you come up to me after the service, and even if you're trying to be a wise guy, and you come up and say, hey, that was some sermon, so no ownership, huh? You're just the steward? Okay. May I have your minivan? I'll throw you the keys. 
But I'm going to ask you, are you a Christian? Yep. Then can I have your car? Right? I know the loopholes. Right? Oh, this works. You see the point. Owners of nothing. Stewards of everything. It's all God's. Did you know this can be taken to every area of your life? What about, uh, what about, your, um, <laughs> what about your, your body? There may be, in, in, at least in my lifetime, I don't think where we are as a culture, I don't think there's been more confusion about body than there's ever been. Body image, body shaming, health, fitness, sex, sexuality, gender, gender identity. I know I will be accused of being overly simplistic, but the Bible clears up a lot of this in one sentence. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and it says this. It, it's the passage where he says your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. Here's what, here's what Paul says. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Any questions? The reason you treat your body with respect, the reason you should be kind to your body, the reason you shouldn't, there's no need to guilt and condemnation and beat yourself up. Oh, I need to lose this weight, then I'll be worthy. What are you talking about? You were bought with a price. You are a beloved child of the heavenly king of the universe. He loves you. So you are what? So you're a steward over your body to do what? To use it as a member of righteousness. To use it for his glory. Why? Because he owns it. If you own your body, do whatever you want with it. But if he owns your body, if you were bought at the infinite price of the death of the Son of God, then we have to use our bodies to honor him. Our time. Uh, uh, Psalm 35, verse 15. My times are in your hand. Are you like me? Do you sometimes get all bent out of shape when somebody, there's some interruption? You thought you had this on your schedule. You want to do this. Or you're being forced to wait. And you think, my, is my time not valuable? Whoa, whoa. What do you mean my time? This is God's 24 hours. So those interruptions may be his way of trying to get your attention. It's not your parents. Technically, they're not your kids. And some of you may, whew, thank goodness. If you'd seen them this morning, all right. I always knew. Well, I hope it gives you a little encouragement. Psalm 127.3 says, children are a heritage from the Lord, which means you're a steward Think about it. God is their true owner. You what? You care for them with all your heart. Why? Because of all the parents in the world, God entrusted them to you to be a steward. Point them to God. The, um, the list could go on and on. I hope you're seeing the point. We are not the owners. We are the stewards. Okay. Uh, the, the most famous Bible passage that uses this word stewardship is probably 1 Corinthians 4. Will you turn there? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. How many of you brought your Bibles? <laughs> That's right, it's God's Bible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, I'm never raising my hand again in this church. This guy's off the rails. First Corinthians chapter 4. You see it? Verses also will be up here on screen. Oh, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 4, uh, let me remind you of the context. If you were part of the When God Came to Sin City uh, series, you may, you may recall uh, first the Corinthians were uh, getting all proud and puffed up uh, because they forgot how they got what they got, so they fought. And some were trying to pull rank. And uh, there was almost this like celebrity preacher, rock star culture being built up. And some people were like, well, I'm friends with Paul. Ooh. 
And others were like, well, I know Apollos. I'm on a first-name basis with the mighty order Apollos. Ooh. And some were like, yo, I, I know Peter. I mean, Peter was one of the 12 that walked with Jesus, got to see him at the resurrection. Ooh. And so it was kind of they were getting prideful about each other. And th- th- there's this rock star celebrity culture being built up around preachers. And Paul says, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. This, you want, you want to know how, what, we, what we preachers are? This is how one should regard us as servants. Servants of Messiah, servants of Christ, and here it is, stewards of the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God is Paul's phrase for the, the gospel. In other words, I've been entrusted with this gospel, and it's got to go out to the world. Uh, the mystery he, he likes to talk about because uh, that Jesus was Messiah was concealed for so long and then revealed in the incarnation, and he calls that uh, the, the God, it's his shorthand for saying the gospel. Now, this is a good reminder you know, uh, it, uh, somebody this morning jokingly said, well, now, do you, you know, do you, do you expect us all to call you a doctor, you know? Um, and I laughed, but, but here I am preaching on this. I mean, not for nothing. Um, I mean, for friends, you can just call me Tom. Uh, it, 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 some people grew up in a way that was real, you know, traditional and formal, and they can't bring themselves to call out of respect, and I get that. And so it's like, I'm sorry, I'm Pastor Tom, you know? And that's, that's uh, fine. Um, but this, this, this uh, uh, rock star status around these uh, uh, ministers, Paul says, you, <laughs> you're insane. A servant, an under rower uh, is the Greek image there. Can you imagine? You think of a, a, a servant on a slave galley rowing. These are the guys under them. They're not even like uh, uh, on the top row, an under rower in the kingdom of God. And a steward. Oh, it's such a good reminder. Every pastor probably needs this. Uh, Reminder, uh, I love my church, but God forgive me if I ever truly think it's my church. You see, there's no private ownership of the body of Christ. Churches get in a lot of trouble when members go, well, this is my church. I've been here this long, or I give this, or I do this. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're members, of, we're members of his body. No matter how much a pastor loves their members, the most loving pastor in the world never died on the cross for his congregation. Only one shepherd did that, see. So Paul says, no, 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 we're stewards. Now, what is required of stewards? What do you need when you're looking? Let's go back to my, my, my ranch overseer in Texas. What is required of that? If you're going to hand over all that valuable antiquities and you're going to hand out all that, those valuable animals and all that is required in running such a big operation, what do you want? Do you want that they're perfect all the time? No. Do they, does Paul say, well, you know, what is it? What's the number one thing? Look at verse two. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? That they have the, uh, they have uh, every dollar God puts in your hands, you're able to totally manage it correctly and you're like the you're like the Dave Ramsey of of your group and you know you have all the financial answers and you do it perfectly or you're a time management machine and you're so organized is that it moreover it's required of stewards that they with their bodies become like bodybuilders or that with their minds they become Einstein and God is looking for all that no 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 foundationally it is required of stewards that they be found what faithful God wants a steward he can trust. The owner of that ranch in Texas just wants a steward he can trust. It is foundational to their relationship. Why? Because he has management over all this. 
the, 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 the buck stops with him, so to speak. He has that accountability. So I just, I just want to know, can I trust you? The guy gave me uh, some of his backstory. I said, how did all this happen for you? Um, and he said that he started working there as a boy. He started uh, work, uh, with the horses, just cleaning stables and, and working, minimum wage job. And this owner had his eye on him and realized he was faithful. Everybody else would cheat, whether cheat the clock a few hours or this or that. He never did. He was faithful. He's faithful. And as he was faithful in the little things, eventually the owner made him a steward over all the things. So are you being faithful? And faithful to what, you say? Faithful, in other words, he was faithful to the will of the owner, not to his own will. That's a question I'd ask. Am I being faithful to kingdom values? With everything that comes into my hands, with all my assets and all my income, am I building God's kingdom or just my own? And I'm going to be faithful to his kingdom. That's what God's saying. Can you, are you just living life to avoid pain and to get comfort? Or, are you saving to build, or were you saved to build his kingdom? Are you being faithful? It doesn't mean you have to be perfect as a time manager. Just faithful. You know, parents, parents, I hope this is encouraging to you. Some of you are maybe demanding more from your kids than even God demands. He's not asking you to be, it's not required of stewards to be the perfect parent. But required that you, are you faithful? Do you keep showing up? Do you keep pointing them to Jesus? Whether it's money or knowledge or talent, or if you say, well, preacher, this sermon's coming at a, at a tough time. I'm actually broke. Are you being a steward over this season of poverty? Are you, uh, well, I'm sick. I, I, well, are you being a steward over that? How are you leveraging everything God puts in your life for his glory? Are you being faithful? And a faithful steward cares more about loyalty to Christ than what others may think of them. Look at verses, these next verses, starting verse three. <clears throat> but with me, and of course Paul was, uh, they were sort of judging Paul. They were saying, well, where's your credentials? And you know, we Corinthians, we like our, our superstar preachers. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. What's he talking about here? When it comes to stewardship, uh, it may be that uh, others around you are financial wizards or, or, you know, these people that know all this stuff, they may eventually advise you that maybe percentage giving uh, to the church is not such a good idea. Or, or maybe even you yourself will scratch your head and go, well, how, you know, how, how should I uh, uh, do this? So if I went down to that ranch in Texas, and I said uh, to him, hey, um, I, Tom Richter, have some ideas. I've got some opinions on things. I, I think you should sell that big mansion up there. The guy only uses it two times in four years. Are you kidding me? He can get an Airbnb next time. And that is just a big waste of money. And I think you should sell these horses, keep these, and I think a better investment. And King Tut's chair, he doesn't need the chair anymore. Send that back to the British Museum or whatever. Right? I, I go through all this stuff and I tell him, you know what he would say to me? Well, Tom, you certainly have a lot of opinions on how I should manage all this. <clears throat> but Tom, with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Why? Because the steward does not care what I think about how he ought to run his operation. He cares about what the owner thinks about how to run this operation. It's his word that matters. He is waiting to see what the owner's verdict. Any human court can't give him that. Only the owner. Now, what does, this have, what does all this have to do with, with giving? Well, 
I want you to see that when you think of stewardship, stewardship is fundamental. When you think of stewardship, it's technically, technically, and we're going to talk more about this next week, it's technically not giving at all. God owns everything. Um, It's easier to be generous. I'll say it this way. Uh, uh, Parents who have teenagers have told me, um, man, I've noticed my teenage kids are incredibly generous when they're spending my money. (laughs) You know? It's like so easy for them. They're like, man, we should give to the poor, Dad. We should give to the poor. It's like, uh, 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 as Christians, let that be said of us. We're incredibly generous because we realize it's our Father's money. It's all His. So technically, you don't give an offering. You return a portion of what's already His. Um, uh, the actual practicality of this is pretty easy. Churches receive offerings in lots of different ways. Ours, I mean, you can, uh, you can write a check. Uh, there's tithe envelopes. If you want to use the old-fashioned tithe envelopes, I think there, there's some behind me in this hallway behind the sanctuary. Since COVID, we no longer pass the offering plate, but we have these boxes here, here, and there's one in the rear of the sanctuary back there. I mean, uh, you can give online. There's even a text to give. You just go to our website, click donate, or there's a text to give if you're uh, really tech savvy. I mean, the, the figuring out the, the, the how, and we'll talk next week about how to know, you know, what is uh, generous. And if you're cynical about all this, I, I, I get it. On the other hand, uh, I don't think you can be faithful to Scripture without talking about giving. But, but there again, when I say the word giving, technically, uh, you know, when you give to the church, it's not like God needs your money, right? Uh, God's not short on cash. Here, Lord, I'm going to buy your lunch today. <laughs> uh, no, we give as a spiritual discipline by which we're trying to fight tooth and nail against what the New Testament calls the deceitfulness of riches. And it, if you don't understand stewardship, that's why I'm starting here. In fact, next week, I'll even say, hey, go back and listen to this week. It's foundational. Before we talk about percentage giving, it's foundational. You have to understand, he owns everything. So if he owns everything, well then, I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm giving to God in hopes to get blessing or something like that. He's already blessed me. Everything I have is his. That's the difference, by the way, between idols and the true and living God. Remember, you always have to feed your idols. You always have to feed your idols. The true and living God feeds you. You're always feeding your idols, hoping they'll bless you, hoping they'll give you that happiness. The true and living God feeds you. If I can, just give a, a personal word about all this. I grew up in a home, Jackie did too, where... Um, we, uh, that home practiced what, what New Testament Christians call percentage giving. Now, you can call it tithing if you want, but tithing, uh, whoo, you have to use a lot of precision when you talk about that word tithing. That, to me, is a loaded word, and it needs some unpacking. We'll do that next week. But uh, anyway, I grew up in a small country church in western Kentucky, and they would have had no problem calling it tithing. And so we still use that language, tithing. It's kind of old-fashioned. Again, I think we use it in imprecise ways. I'll get to that. Point is... We practice tithing. At least grant me that for our purposes here, percentage giving, when the percent is 10%, we can call that tithing. Fine. Uh, anyway, I, um, I grew up in a home where uh, that, w- that, w- that was just practiced, and uh, I, as, a, as a, a child, I got a weekly allowance of 50 cents a week. I didn't grow up in 1920. Like, if you're like, oh, kids are like 50 cents, that's not a lot now. I bet it was a lot. It wasn't a lot then. But I'm not bitter. I've totally gotten over it. 
50 cents a week. Anyway, so, uh, uh, but two things dad did, two things. Number one, payday was always crack of dawn Sunday morning. We'd come down early for breakfast, and there the allowance would be sitting there. One stack for my older sister, one stack for me, one stack for my younger sister. Payday was first thing Sunday morning. And the second, second thing he did, he paid us in nickels. You see what he did? Uh, he was teaching us from a very early age. He never forced us. He never said, you have to give whatever. But in this house, we return 10%. It's all, it's all God's. And we're going to return 10%. And he knew that if he, he had to pay us in nickels, because if he paid us in two quarters, he, you can't make change in the offering plate. That's a spanking. Let me tell you, you didn't, you might do that once. But, <laughs> right? <clears throat> it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized uh, the 50 cents was pretty paltry. But it wasn't until I became an adult <clears throat> that I realized what he was really giving us. Right? He was laying a foundation that led to two things in my life. Absolutely true, I've discovered. Jackie and I will tell you, the first thing, that foundation, the first thing we discovered, you cannot outgive God. He is a giving God. He has blessed you, hadn't he? He has blessed me, and you can't outgive God. There's never going to be a moment where you're like, now I went back to my receipts, and I don't know. I'm, I'm going to pull back on some of my giving because, Lord, I don't know that you've been that good to me. That, that, that conversation is just never going to happen. You can't outgive God. The second thing it occurred to me is by doing that when we were young, he laid a groundwork so that you, it's like you just, you develop that habit. Like, you know, it, percentage giving now is no big deal because it was, it was a big deal when it was 50 cents. So, 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 so I, you just do it then. And then one day when you get a job and then, you, you know, you get a job in high school, you begin tithing. It's no big deal. You've been doing it since 50 cents. And then you go to college and that's, there's like four years you don't have to tithe because you can't tithe on debt, a half-eaten Twinkie and your couch, right? That's all you own. So it's great. Then you come back and you get a job and you begin percent. Everybody understand the point? You begin percentage giving your whole life long, right? Why? So, so if you grew up in a home like that, this whole sermon is not convicting to you. If anything, this is encouraging. This is celebrating the legacy of faithfulness in your life. If you didn't grow up in a home like that, but you have kids, has it occurred to you that may be the best gift you can give them? And on behalf of all the kids, give them more than 50 cents, you know. But you see the point. Lay for them a groundwork of understanding stewardship. Stewardship. Why do I say all that? I, I, I took that, thank you for allowing me that personal aside. I say all that to say, verse 3, if at the end of my life, I'm sitting down with a lawyer and a financial planner, and we're, you know, I've come to the end of my life. We're looking at assets and all that stuff. Quite frankly, I don't care. Like, it is a small thing. If somebody says to me, now, um, uh, Tom, you could take that uh, percent you've been giving to the church all these years, and, you know, if you invested that, you could do this, and you could make this, and you could have more, and you could be doing this. I, I would say to them, it is a very small thing to you that I should be judged by you, but to me, that I should be judged by you or any human. I don't want to come. I don't care at the end of my life if I hear, well done, good and faithful servant from Merrill Lynch. I don't care. There's only one person I want to hear say that, right? 
And I'm not even the best judge of my own giving. We'll talk next week. How do you know if you're being generous? We'll talk about that next Sunday. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. Look at the next verse. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Paul's not saying we should never be self-reflective. He's saying we're, we're not, other people are not the best judge of us, and we're, our own hearts are not even really the best judge of us. We need a verdict from a judge higher than us. We must come under the word of God. It's God who's the final authority in my life. He owns everything. What does the catechism say? Well, uh, 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 what is our only hope in life and in death? Our only hope in life and in death is that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We belong body and soul to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See? Therefore, so what's the point of all this? Therefore, verse five, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In other words, when it comes to stewardship, like anything, you gotta take the long view. You gotta take the long view. There's gonna be a lot of people going down to Texas telling this guy, hey, you should do this. Hey, you should do that. And it's going to be real tempting. Even his own heart is sometimes going to say, well, should I do this? Should I do that? He's going to stay faithful to the will of the owner. Why? Don't pronounce judgment before the time. He may be looking like he's making foolish decisions, but he's playing a different game than you. All he cares about is that day the owner returns. That's, that's, his, that's his end game. He wants to see the look on the face when the owner comes back sees how he's blessed the ranch, sees how it's flourished under his care, and he looks at him, he says, well done, well done. So don't pronounce judgment. That's also a good warning. If, if somebody starts percentage giving, maybe they hear this sermon and they think, well, I'm gonna start giving. They start percentage giving. Don't pronounce judgment before the time. Don't think that it's like, well, as soon as I give, financial blessings will just fall from the sky or something like that. You may, you may experience blessing, you may not. And, but one day, one day, the Lord will come and bring to light and each will receive his commendation from God. You're seeking the joy of seeing the one you love say, well done. All right, let's wrap up. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos to your benefit, brothers. You may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. There's pages and pages of commentary trying to figure out what Paul meant by let us not go beyond what is written. Uh, I think he means what's been written so far in the letter, but... Uh, uh, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And certainly when people start thinking they own and they're in charge, certainly it leads to pride and competition. Four, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And then if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do you have that's not a gift? If we're stewards of everything, what do we have in our life that's not a gift? Can we focus our hearts on that last question? What do you have that you did not receive? You see how that turns, that question turns our heart from greed to gratitude. It's all gift. These children, I'm a steward over these kids that I'm supposed to parent. They're a gift. Even somebody who would push back, nah, come on, what do you mean? I, I'm nobody's charity. I, I work hard, really. Who gave you the strength to work at that job? I earned that promotion. Who gave you the brains and the skills to earn? Come on, come on. Did you? Yeah, you work hard. Yeah, but what do you have that you did not ultimately receive from God? And your salvation? I earned my standing with God. Please, you're delusional. You know that. It's Christianity 101. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. It's all gift. I want you to see that this comes down ultimately to the love of God. You can... Uh, 
Chuck's going to come, uh, Brandon's going to come, and uh, someone will come, I hope, and lead us in a time of response. Here's why I want us to respond to this. Here's how I want to focus our hearts on this. The old saying really is true. Like, there's an old uh, saying that's been around churches a long time. It's so true. You can, theoretically, you can give without loving. You can. I mean, you, you, can, you can browbeat a church. You go, we need to give more. and we, you know, we need to feel guilty. And you'll never be a good Christian unless you give. And all that guilt and condemnation, it's garbage. But that, right? You can. You, and you can get people to give out of guilt. And you can give without a shred of love in your heart. You can give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. Love makes you give. You give your time to the people you love. You give your resources. You can't. You can't. You love the body of Christ. You love the kingdom of God. You love ultimately, you just love God. And you can't love without giving. I've, I've used this illustration before. I, I think it's true. What if, what if tomorrow God made a new commandment that said you can never again give another dime to the church? You never again. You were outlawed from giving. Well, if you were like, woohoo, never have to give, sweet. Then what kind of relationship did you have to begin with? But if, even as I say that, if you could never give again, some of you would be gutted. You say, don't take that from me. That's a great joy of my life. That's a privilege of my life. And that, that's where real giving comes from. A heart that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't own any of this. I don't own a thing. God, you've blessed me. It's all yours. I can be generous. Why? It's yours. C.S. Lewis has this little illustration. I think it's in Mere Christianity. And uh, he says that uh, he said, the illustration is uh, the, little, the little boy goes up to his dad because he wants, he wants to buy a really nice present for his dad. So he's sitting there thinking he's going to buy this really nice present for his dad. So he goes up to his dad and he says, May I have six pence? <laughs> Because he's got to go buy the present, but he doesn't have any money. I think it's just a delightful illustration. Uh, Lewis says that when the kid brings the gift, he says the father's heart is warmed by the gift. He delights in the gift. But of course, he's six pence none the richer. God doesn't need our stuff. He owns everything. He feeds us. The Father's heart's delighted. We delight in Him. He delights in us. This heart of generosity. Boy, it's not like we're hooking God up with some cash. He's sixpence and on the richer. Why? Because He owns everything anyway. And out of this great love, oh, I can give without loving. But how can you love? How can I be in relationship with the God of the universe and my heart not be stirred to give? And from that place, giving comes. Uh, there's, there, I meant to call you up now. Uh, there's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, because there's one thing. The reason this is so important, so important, there's one thing that God is going to do for you that that owner in Texas is never going to do for the steward. If you haven't noticed, I've been using a controlling metaphor the entire sermon. The ranch guy in Texas has been the controlling metaphor for steward. There's one place where it utterly breaks down. The analogy breaks down. Here's why. There will never be a day when that owner, the billionaire, comes and adopts the guy as his own son and makes him heir to the ranch. That's never going to happen. He's never actually going to become the owner of all those things. But that is exactly what your heavenly father has done for you in Christ, Christian. You're not just a steward and a servant. You are a son and daughter of the king. And that means new heaven, new earth. Like, the, like 
it, it's going to happen. You're going to rule and reign over these things. So be faithful in these little things now on this side of glory so that our hearts are prepared for that side of glory. We've been adopted as sons. That's why the stewardship thing is so important. Let's pray. God, stir in our hearts a fresh desire and love for you that leads to generosity, a heart that doesn't hold on like owners, but rather treats everything as if we are, in fact, stewards. God, I pray for those who uh, are wrestling. For some, this may be a very difficult uh, topic to think about. They've got all this financial stress in their life. God, grant them peace, grant them provision. For others, they feel a challenge their whole life. They've struggled with guilt and condemnation that comes from the enemy. Lord, free them from that and lead them to an understanding of stewardship. And God, grant that when you return or when we die and go to be with you, uh, more than anything, God, grant this fresh desire to hear a well done and to live today in light of that day. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? It could be that your heart is touched, you wanna pray right where you are. It could be you wanna respond. Scott will be here to receive you if you wanna speak with a minister or set up a time to meet. It could be that uh, uh, God could be doing any number of things in your life. You just be obedient to him, listen to him and respond to him. Brandon. Lord, I come. I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides me. haven't had a chance you need to go by uh and welcome tom and th- i'm not welcoming but they just tell him you're proud of him for finishing up his doctorate we had a reception in between services but make sure you just go by we love him and uh this is a major milestone in his life but also for our church so join me in our benediction from number 624 the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you and the lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and all god's people said amen